Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Hello, hello. This is Recap the Nation, a Fake the Nation bonus where we take some of your favorite pop culture films and TV shows and we recap the shit out of them. Today, we officially move away from succession and onto more caloric pastors by recapping The Bear. Now, season two of The Bear drops on June 22nd, so we figured to gear up for that momentous television experience, we would get listeners up to speed with a full season one recap today. Don't worry, regular episodes of Fake the Nation still appear in this very feed on Thursdays, as they always do. But for today and for the next four weeks, we'll be digging into the meat sandwich Michigas that is the bear on FX and Hulu. Joining me is... The most incredible panel. I don't even know how we did it. I don't know how we do it. I don't know how we did it. Um, we have, first of all, one of my dear, dear friends. She is, uh, um, she's currently on Los Angeles, but in spirit, she's always in New York with me. Uh, she's a, a comedian who I have just, I have only seen kill. I've actually never seen her do badly. So that's one of her superpowers. Um, knock on wood. Now that I just said that, knock on wood. But she's seen her on the late show and here's and now here we are in the year 2058 and she has also finally 
joined TikTok. You can find her at the handle Leah Bonima. And um, and the reason that, that that's her handle name is because she is the excellent, the incredible, the one and only Leah Bonima. Oh, hey, Leah. My goodness. Hey, Nagin. That was so amazing. I'm going to hold it in my pocket for sad days. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and also joining us and yeah, here's and this is the fun thing about doing these recaps is I get to just call on the fake the nation regulars the people that I know you already know and love um, and this man is uh, ranks very very high among them he is a comedian he's so funny um i mean he's funny on multiple multiple platforms and i've had the distinct pleasure of being able to be funny with him in a writer's room where he where it's like you think he's funny on stage wait until you get to like work with him um he's got a sub stack called funnyman.com Sorry, part-time. <laughs> um, because I, I take issue with the name. It's parttimefunnyman.com, but it's really alltimefunnyman.com. But parttimefunnyman.com is his substack, and you can go and find his writing, is in his audio musings, and it's just one of the more um, generative and uh, exciting stuff substacks out there. He is the one and only Corey Ryan Forrester. Hey, Nagin, thank you so much. I, too, shall be putting that in my pocket for a sad day, which will probably be in two hours. <laughs> when we get done recording. <laughs> um, folks, before we launch in, I just want to remind listeners that they can go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad to support this show. If you have been listening to Fake the Nation for many years or for very short years, if you have been enjoying two podcasts for the price of one because you've also been enjoying the recaps, um, you know, consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad for as little as $4 a month. You get even more episodes of the show and more episodes of the people um, that you love hearing from. So it is just like, I'm going to just go ahead and say it. It's a great deal. Um, And now, without further ado, let us launch into the Bear Season 1. I want to start with broad thoughts and then we'll get into more detail about what happens. The show is set in a very low-budge culinary world of beef sandwiches in Chicago. The protagonist, Carmi, is an incredibly talented but like greasy, depressive dude who just lost his brother to suicide. The pace of the show can be remarkably stressful. And yet this entire combination somehow works. Was this show a surprise to you, Leah? Well, I had so many people say, you got to watch the show. Mm -hmm. Uh, People who I trust with their recommendations. Um, and then I feel like I was also warned about the anxiety of the show by multiple people. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What surprised me is that I didn't feel as anxious as I thought I would. And I worry that maybe I'm always that anxious. So the show was just running <laughs> at the same speed of my, uh, but I absolutely loved it. I love the way it was shot. I love the, for the, the, broad, the cast, I thought the ensemble cast was just incredible, incredible. And, uh, th- just the facial expression. You're like, where do they put all these people together? You know what I mean? I was just like, and I definitely, I mean, I've worked in kitchens. I feel like we've all worked in like these yep. high stress environments. It feels like it really caught that momentum while then also dealing with like themes of grief and, you know, everybody's sort of got their own arc that they're on. I thought it was an amazing 
they did an amazing job weaving it together. Um, what did, what were your feelings about it, Corey? Uh, well, a lot of the same and, and similar to like, you know, like in our in our industry that we work in, we are friends with a lot of cool, talented people. And there's always like these like sort of like underground darlings that like I haven't really heard much about, but everybody's texting about it. And I just kept hearing the bear, the bear, the bear, the bear. And so I get explained what it was. And I'm like, I may have a little PTSD because I used to run a restaurant. Uh, yes. Yeah, I wasn't, I was, I was, uh, it, now granted it was a very short lived restaurant. We only owned it for nine months. And the reason is, is because as this show points out, it is hard as shit uh, to do. And when I first started watching it, I got like very much uncut gems vibes and <laughs> and at, so at first, like I had to even pause it and be like, okay, like you should just go ahead and take your trazodone and then just <laughs> then watch it because <laughs> I loved Uncut Gems, but I've always said it's one of those movies where I love it, but I don't think I'll ever watch it again in my life. And that's not saying it's not good. It's great. But like I was, I remember being in the theater just like on edge the whole time and it, and it like I feel like the bear comes out like that, but then all the characters are lovable in their own way and it sort of welcomes you in. And I, and I ended up loving how frenetic they were shooting it with all the cuts between this and like the memories. And, and, uh, I just, I just loved it. I thought it was perfect. That is what a restaurant is a hundred percent. So, and, and yeah, I think it, it'll be interesting to hear our thoughts about having all of us. It's funny because we're, <laughs> we're all comedians who've all had experience in kitchens. And so it's interesting to like get this weird Venn diagram crossover of comedians and kitchens. Um, so we'll get like a <laughs> dose of that. I think throughout this recap pod, um, also, I just want to say about Uncut Gems, like it, there was never a movie that I wanted to do a downward facing dog in the middle of more. You, know you I mean? liked it though, I right? was like, would it? No, I mean, I thought it was like, you know, I thought it was extremely well done. I thought it was, you know, but like I was, I, I did find it was, it was torture. You know what I mean? Like it was torture. And I was like, is it appropriate for me to just like get into the aisle of this theater right now and just do a quick, just like a real quick downward facing dog because I have so much tension. Yeah. I don't know what to do with my body right now. But um, yeah, but this, this, so we'll talk about that. Episode one is called Ball Breaker. Um, and I and I feel like I should give each episode in this series a stress score on a scale of one to ten. Um, the pilot for me was at an mm -hmm. eight. Um, because it kind of like it never let up at ten. By the way, ten is uncut gems or war on a stress, <laughs> on a stress scale. Um, episode one, we learned there's a dead brother who used to run this joint, the beef. The joint is in fact financially underwater. But Carmi, the elite chef, has come home to braise and introduce a new elevated beef. There's an incredible moment in the first episode where Carmi's cousin Richie notices that the crowd outside that's waiting for the place to open is getting a little out of hand, a little rowdy, and shoots a gun into the air, gets everyone's attention, and then says, Merry Christmas, lizard. Sounds like we have a real problem here. Any of you incel QAnon 4chan Snyder Cut motherfuckers want to get out of line now? And he's still waving the gun, and he ends with this, also, I hate litter, so you cocks are going to clean up after yourselves, and you better recycle. Fuck you. And that's how the scene ends. So the first episode just rode this stress wave. And my first question about the is is about the show's basic setup. Um, and it is about how much of the of of the you know you talked about Corey like it feels very accurate to a restaurant. Leah, what did how did this make you? What what is it about? the thing that happens in a restaurant that this that this show really touched on? Well, A, it's like the you get there early and the setup and the prep time. 
um, and all of that, like pre-work before the doors open where I feel like, you know, clients of the restaurant think of as the restaurant, but there's all this advanced thing happening. And then all yeah. these relationships in the back where you have to work together and some of you haven't gotten along. And then, you know, there's the old way of doing things. Then we have somebody new. And then the character of Richie, this is a little separate from what you said, really was the person who hit my stress level. Yeah. To the, <laughs> and I feel like in that scene we saw, oh, he's got, oh, he recycles. You know, you're like, oh. He's complicated. Good heart, yes, layers. This man has layers. But immediately you're like, oh no, we got a loose cannon over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, and and we'll we'll get into his arc later on. I didn't like think Richie would have an arc or Richie would have depth or whatever. Like at first, I just kind of thought he was going to be comedic fodder. But I think the interesting thing about the show is like no one is just comedic fodder. Like everyone gets an arc, um, and and that's I mean I think that's just like good writing. Uh, Corey, were you? I mean, how did these characters strike you when you first met them? Well, I think the ep- the episode being titled "Ball Breakers" is perfect because of <laughs> how Richie treats Carmen. And uh, and not only did I work in a restaurant, I worked in a family restaurant, so this is very accurate <laughs> to how that goes. Like in when you're back in the kitchen, you're not mom and dad, brother and sister. You're, you know, we're soldiers. We got to get this shit done. And then we'll be friends and family later. But I also really identified, like, again, Richie breaking Carm's balls. I identified with Carmen so much. And the only reason I do is because here's a guy, comes from a working class, goes on to do bigger things than himself, French laundry, fancy stuff. I'm a kid from a Civil War town who, like, reads books, goes to Europe, knows stuff, does a European <laughs> history podcast. I get yeah, treated yeah. I get treated the exact same way Carm does by the Richies in my world, and I hang out with, like, exclusively Richies. So I thought that not only did it do the restaurant business justice, it did how families treat each other in stressful environments. Because family can razz you harder than anybody else because they know at the end of the day, you're going to forgive them. You're related. You know what I mean? You couldn't treat your yeah, friend yeah, like that. Yeah. If you treat your friend like that, no. it's like, okay, well, fuck you. We're not friends anymore. Or or if you, I mean, if you treat like an actual other employee like that, yes. it's like, it's pretty much over. Um, I mean, d- depending on like how much uh, woman you've got in you to be in it. Like, cause women are always like, I will take the shit that has been endure. piled on my face <laughs> and I will endure it. Um, and I think the other interesting thing about a restaurant is that I think is also addictive because part of you wonders why are these people fucking experiencing this stress? Like go into HR, you know what I mean? Like go be an accountant, like go do something that's like, but there's something addictive where 20 minutes pass and then suddenly five hours have passed. Like there's something about a restaurant where there is a flow state where you're operating. And it's a little bit like the adrenaline is pumping so hard. It is a lot like being on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's you just are um propelled uh through time so quickly and then you and then your body is just like kind of instinctually just like doing all this stuff. Um my main experience was as a waitress and then as a as and, and as a dishwasher and as a barista like was being in that in that environment. So I had to do a lot a lot more like front facing customer stuff. Um but but time was very wiggly in these jobs. And it was like kind of, you know, um, a little trippy in that way. 
uh, so we sort of meet everybody and and we go into episode two called The Health Inspector Blues, where Joel McHale um, is um, is such an interesting like casting choice there, which again loved it. Brilliant, brilliant. He's the he's the head chef in in one of Carmi's flashbacks. He's the head chef at French Laundry, where Carmi is a sous chef or whatever the fuck. Um, and it's about a year ago, and it's like a really intense scene where you can see Joel McHale like just utterly breaking him down. Um, and it's a it gives us a sense of where Carmi's been, um, the kind of scrutiny and bullying he had to endure. Uh, and and you really you really get a sense of this like elevated world of cuisine. Um did what did you think of that world? That which is not a world I'm familiar with. The restaurants I in, in coffee shops and stuff that I worked in were all, you know, for re- civilians. Um, what did what did what sense did you get of that world? Um, well, first off, I've eaten at a couple of those restaurants. Mm-hmm. I've been fortunate enough to. And while they are, it's like, oh, I wow, mean, this by is the amazing. way, this whole podcast is just an excuse for Corey to brag about yes. the many incredible yes. things that he's gotten to do despite coming That's from a true. small town. I actually okay. talked to Joel McHale this morning. It's a, a very <laughs> ironic. Um, <laughs> um, but like, there was a quote uh, that. Sydney said in the first episode when they said, are, are you going for, are you going for deliciousness or presentation or something yeah, like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, you know, deliciousness, I, I, I'm butchering it, but she's like, deliciousness trumps all of that. And so a lot of these restaurants, I'm like, yeah, you made that look really good. That's great. But like, there's an ounce of it. And it, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, it kind of pisses me off. I'd rather have like a beef sandwich from this type of place, but I do know it's that it has to be that intense right. because I mean, they're charging $1,400 a plate. You can't make a mistake. And I thought Joel McHale was like perfect casting. Cause if you like, if you look at him on community, you go just strip the comedy out of that. And we've got a pretentious dick bag. Yeah, That's what we yeah. need for, he can play that really good. Yeah. He really can. I mean, Leah, did you? It's it's funny because it's sort of like, can you have? Is it necessary for the fucking dickishness to be there to have elevated cuisine at that level? I mean, I want to agree. He did a phenomenal job, and I feel like that's like the lifelong question. You know what I mean? That's like parents yeah. being like, "How much should I yell at my child to make?" Yeah, them yeah, great? yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Joe Jackson. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> um, I um. I actually worked for like a chef in New York when I was like a, it was like a, I was sort of a cater waiter, but I got involved in this company who very much reminded me of Joel McHale's character. Oh God. And then I didn't know before I moved to New York that there was this, that it was like, um, food that world. Knew that, yes. That chefs were, uh, I, you know, if there were chef listening, not all of you. And I didn't say this. I'm just repeating what yeah. I heard. High maintenance. And uh, <laughs> meanwhile, you were gearing us up for the worst ever insult. And then what you came out with was so diplomatic. High maintenance. Yes. <laughs> I would say mood swinging is also. And I remember working for this man, and he was so, he was also like his whole life was like this. You know what I mean? He was fit, he was on time, everything was organized. And I was just like, and he was like, you know, cruel, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I it just totally introduced I had no idea you know what I mean that it was like this whole other world that was like this so and I felt like they nailed it I mean it's very much like comedy isn't it like the whole thing 
Like, yeah. like when you when you look at all of this, I think that's why comedians like it. You look at all this and you go, why would people be doing this if they're only going to be treated poorly? And it's like, because that was their dream and this is the only path to achieve it. And Joel McHale was like every booker from 20 years ago. Like that's how they used, <laughs> that's how people, that's how people used to treat comedians. We're lucky now that everybody's got to be so nice. You know what I mean? Or and I like, mean, and I mean, don't give Twitter. them too much credit, Corey. They've no, got to be there. Yeah. They're like, Maybe regular levels nice. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. but I guess what I'm saying is they go, well, it has to be this way in order for there to be this good food. But I feel like we've kind of helped the culture along in comedy where it's not that intense all the time and everybody's not being mean and sexually assaulting people as much, as much. And we're still getting and we're still getting good comedy. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Right, so like right. it can it t- be done. It turns out we didn't need to just completely break people down. Yes. Um, and like wound their souls for them to be good comedians. It's yeah. also it's funny because it's also something that's like, you know, my dad's a surgeon and um, and I, you know, I grew up around a lot of surgeons. And that's like also in that world, that world, the training part of it is you don't sleep. And part of the training is that we break you down physically so that when you're at your most weak and your most fucking in tired and irrational because of this fucking torture, sleeplessness, torture, now we give you a human body to operate on. <laughs> right? Wait, and you're like, is that? That seems w- wrong. Shouldn't a surgeon be? I would like, I just want to say controversially, I would like my surgeons to be well rested. You know what I yes. mean? Um, and not on cocaine. And not yes. on cocaine. So, so there is something about these kind of like f- these fields where craft is everything and snap judgment and acting, you know, being able to like act in a pressure filled situation, obviously surgery, the pressure is real. And then I want to say in, in, in comedy and in food, the pressure is invented, you know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you're going to get some emails from some chefs and And comedians. Um, So we also learn, you know, Sydney's trying to bring a more efficiency to the kitchen um, in this episode, but everyone is deflated when a regulator comes in for an inspection and finds that there's enough violations to give the restaurant a code of C. We also learned that the restaurant is indebted to Uncle Cicero, played by Oliver Platt, who I love. Bravo. To, wow. Yes, to the tune of $300,000. He actually wants Carmi to sell the place to him. We also learn that Carmi's sister is worried about him, wants to see him more. And finally, Cousin Richie finds Michael's suicide note and then hides it again. Ah! Um, I know. And so this is, I feel like, let's talk about suicide for a second, you guys. Yes. This is the fun, the fun part of the show. Um, Leah, what did you think about that move? About why, why did he do that? Why did he hide the note? What, what's, what's, what's happening here? Well, I feel like that's exactly what I said out loud when he hid the note. I uh-huh. Um, and I think it was probably for many reasons. One, I think there are, he probably had some feelings that it was addressed to Carmi and not him. Yeah. Because um, they were best buddies Close. and they ran it together. Yeah. And then I also feel like he doesn't want, there is something about making it more real to him. Um, you know, if there's a suicide note um that he didn't yep. want to personally look at yet he wasn't ready to handle that 
So I think both of those things were at play. And then I also think under with all of those things, he's sort of like a, he's just struggling with himself with the right thing to do versus the wrong thing to do. And he constantly is stuck in between those things. Yeah. Corey, what was your take? Yeah, I took a lot of what Leah said about like, you know, I've had friends and relatives kill themselves and I could see myself had I found the note being like, not right now. You know what I mean? Not, I can't, I can't deal with this right now, or this makes it completely real, or I have no idea what I'm about to find. And this is technically going to be the last thing they ever said. But also with Richie, it could have very well just been like, that was a very intense day. They had just gotten a C. He'd had to fire a gun in front of a bunch of uh, Renaissance (laughs) fair looking dudes. Like, I don't know. I can't, I can't decide, but I, I like what Leah said about like the fact that it wasn't addressed to him, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe he was like, well, I mean, first off, tampering with the mail is a federal crime and it's not addressed <laughs> to me. <laughs> but uh, also, like, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe he just, maybe there's part of Richie that felt like, I don't know if Carmen can deal with this right now. Yeah. So I'm just going to leave it right here. That way he can find it or somebody else can find it and I can punt the responsibility as he often does in this yes, show. Yes. Yeah. I love that. And I also, um, this is an example about the show, the writing on the show being so great because that's the kind of action that right now we just came up with like seven different theories about why he did this and all of them are plausible and it it it, it deepens the show like we don't have to have an answer it's like cheesy to have a full answer because even in those moments when you yourself are doing, when you yourself are finding the note, there's a thousand reasons why you want to put it back, you know? And and I love that the show is able to like bring that really, really human element into the writing in a way that's also like not cheesy. It's not overly expository. You know, we're not like we don't see a character come in and 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 then and then fucking Richie go, uh, oh, this it's nothing. I'm just high. Uh, let me just put like we don't it's like we don't need all of that. We just need to know a guy can't decide right now he's putting it back you know and then we can come up with a bunch of things and the other thing i love is you know the the way this episode was shot that first scene with joel McHale and all that stuff it's so intense it's on a tripod it's really white it's really stark the camera doesn't move it's this it's the the perfection the laboratory like perfection of the spaces that he used to occupy juxtaposes so incredibly with the handheld whipping camera of the like low budget fucking beef festival that he's in right now, you know? And, um, and so that's the other thing I love about just the way they're communicating these differences, like very visually. I didn't even think about that, but that's so true and awesome. Yeah. And I love just going back to what Corey said about the idea that he does put it back and being like somebody else fine. You know, he doesn't throw it away. He doesn't tear it up. He's just like, like I'm, I'm going to put it back to where it was and maybe somebody else. So I yeah. think so much of his, this is Carmen's brother is like his whole life and yeah. that's his place. And now it's all being shaken. He's like, you feel him feeling like he's losing, fighting losing. to not lose his identity. Yes, yes. Um, and so it's like, he's just, it was a very scary place for a person. It is. Well, and then moving into episode three, it's called Charge of the Beef Brigade. And it starts with an, um, an Al-Anon meeting with Molly Ringwald, Carmi Institutes a French Brigade, um, which is a hierarchy in the kitchen, which Sydney assures everyone is more like a chillarchy. 
And there's a moment where Sydney's really frustrated. The staff is really testing her and not listening. And the chef de pastry, Marcus, offers to help her with a huge jug of stock. And she refuses his help. And it falls on the ground. And then he helps her clean it up. And he says, you know, just keep going. Let's talk about Marcus. Did he become your favorite person in America at that moment? <laughs> I, I loved Marcus a lot. He's like that gentle giant type that like I just wanted to hug him at every moment yeah. in the yeah. show. I want to eat his donuts. I want to <laughs> just be his best buddy. Yeah. I mean, because the thing with Marcus is that he's not trying to tell you, I told you so. Yes. You needed my fucking help. You didn't take my fucking help. And now I have to sit here and fucking clean the floor with you. Like, it was all just like pure community mindedness. You know what I mean? And I loved that about him. What are you feeling, Leah, about this like bond between him and her and um, Sydney and Marcus and that in the, in so much of this scene, so much of this episode where she's kind of like trying to figure out how to be a boss. Hey, I want to say that, that I feel like we could all have like Marcusisms and like that. It's such a, I mean, how rare yeah. in your life do you meet somebody who is, doesn't say, I told you so. Do you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> or doesn't turn their back and be like, well, you, I offered you to and then it happened. And then now I'm not going to help. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I, it yeah. was just like, so we could all take a, a note from that book. And then B, I hope they, they do release a line of, um, his donuts after this <laughs> and I will eat them. I think that she, I'm sort of getting my episodes mixed up in my head as like it's one fine. big episode. So I feel silly, but I feel like this episode, I'm also seeing him coming in and supporting her and like her taking this role and making these changes. Cause he's excited to sort of learn these things. And he seems to be a person who does isn't competitive in that way. And then I feel like this is also a role where we get to know Tina better. And then she's yeah. sort of coming in as the opposite side of that, who doesn't want to change, who's like, I've been here longer. I've been doing this for a long time. So I feel yeah. like sort of she's Sydney's right in the middle of these two characters who are showing opposite sides of it. Um, and I, I love that you mentioned Tina. She, her sort of, arc really starts to crystallize in the next episode, which is called uh, episode four, Who Puts Ketchup on a Hot Dog? And this is that weird episode that partially takes place in the suburbs where in an effort to knock some bucks off their debt, they cater a birthday party for Uncle Cicero. But the most ridiculous part was when Richie somehow manages to dump his bottle of Xanax into the punch that all the kids drink (laughs) and then all the kids pass out. And the fact that they pass out is one of these moments where nobody cares (laughs) (laughs) what what do you think this is i feel like something that we come back to in this show is the morality of things and i don't know um talk to me Corey, a little bit is there some recognition here about the way you sort of handle these like these things with kids and it's like not a big deal and we don't have to be so fucking intense about everything well what it i'll put now 
I've watched this show now twice. Uh, once was when it first came out, and the second time was I tried my best to binge it from last night to tonight. And I actually have two completely different feelings from like oh the first God. time I saw. Uh-huh. The first time I saw it, I was like, "Yeah, man, that's like how it was with us in the nineties. I mean, it's like, look, it ain't gonna kill them. Whatever, who yeah. gives a shit? At least they can take a nap. <laughs> and you know, we dude, we all, when I was from, we all grew up with our parents slipping Benadryl in our cokes and stuff yeah. like that. And when we were going on trips, so I was like, whatever. But I I watched it last night and since the first time I saw it I have had a child yeah. <laughs> and when I watched it and and I'm and I don't want to be the person that's like now that I have a child I look at everything so differently but I fucking do <laughs> and like I was I was just like oh my god these poor babies like that's adult sized Xanax like somebody could have a seizure right now and y'all are all just being so flippant about it <laughs> um but it was great comedy <laughs> Um, Leah, what did you think? You know, my first instinct was I worried. Is everybody okay? Yeah, but then of course. as soon as we yeah. established that that wasn't, I really felt like it was the one moment where I actually could let down. Like it felt like a peaceful comedic break where we were like, oh, the kids are napping. They're getting along. We have a little laugh. Yeah. And let me just say about Oliver Platt really quickly, who I'm obsessed yeah. with. Oh, um, what a great acting choice. I love him in this. I also, one time, I worked in as a personal assistant in this fancy building, and I got into the elevator with him. And <laughs> uh-huh. being in an enclosed space with him, he just radiates this amazing energy when you're standing around him. It's unbelievable. It's re- You're really like, you're unbelievable. You're not even, ta- well, he said hi, but... I was like, I was literally like, I'm in love. I wanted to say out loud, I'm in love with you. And I really have that. Feeling. I wish you had said it. I I mean, he does. I it's so funny. Like I it's it's like a non-sexual, but like I have a, I, have a, I do have like a strong crush on mm-hmm. Oliver Platt and I have like for decades or whatever. I don't even remember the first thing I saw him in, but like I it, he's just Effort and it's funny because he's a really good actor. It's not like he's the same character and everything, but there is an no. Oliver Plattness to every character. Like he brings this like specific Oliver Plattness. It's so brilliant. Um, and I would like to say real quick yeah. before we move on, had I seen Oliver Platt in an elevator, the first thing I would have done is told him how robbed he was of an Oscar for his seminal performance as Jimmy the King in Ready to Rumble. You've never seen oh the, the man has so much. Do you know Ready to Rumble? No. It's a very stupid wrestling movie. <laughs> and he and he pl- and he plays like the WCW's top star, Jimmy the King, and he's just a bag of trash and he just oh murders God. it. It's worth it to watch for him. I'm writing oh it God. down right now. Right yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Um again, it's also like great writing for the kids to pass out. It puts us in the environment of that, the, the 90s parenting, I mean, even though this is not the 90s, but it puts it in the, we know exactly what's happening, right? Like, these fucking kids are out of control. These parents are a little bit like, it's fine, guys, whatever, you know? And so we're, we get immediately what's happening, and it, it's, an, it, it's an example of great writing. Um, and then I also want to say about, so this is like the Tina, Big Tina episode, because... Um, Sydney goes over to her, and this was the moment that you're probably really remembering, Leah. She says, I know what it's, uh, sorry, Sydney says to Tina, I know what it's like to be a woman in the kitchen. And then Tina stops her and says something like, I'm paraphrasing here, I was in the kitchen since before you were born, so fuck off. And it was really, what was really interesting, it's like, we're seeing this like woman on woman anger, right? Special circle of hell for women who don't support women, all of that. We're seeing this generational divide. Is it, it's, we're seeing this, 
the thing that I think probably happens, right? Where like a Gen Z person is like, I totally get the struggle because I live it. And then the older woman is like, are you fucking kidding me? I did, I, you know, I was fucking sexually assaulted multiple times so that you don't actually have to get the struggle at the level that I get the struggle. You know what I mean? And it was, um, it was like all of geopolitics and generational politics, like in one very brief conversation. Leah, as a woman, as a woman, um, mm. what did you what did you think of that scene? I thought it was so good, and it, that was what I was pushing that into the other episode yeah. in my mind. I thought it was so great, and you immediately. I, I mean, I feel like what you just said absolutely nailed it. It's like, I'm sure Tina was like, no, you have no idea what I've been dealing with. And I don't need you to come in with your new ideas and tell me that you get it and what it's like. And um, I thought it was perfect. Yeah, I thought I thought it was perfect. And I also, it made me like, look back on some of my past behaviors or something like, did I ever do that to an older woman? Like, you know what I mean? It, it's all, it, it, I think the thing that the show tells us a lot is don't presume things about people. Yeah. Don't fucking presume things about people. People are a big well of stuff. And, and when you try and like boil them down to these, these essentials, like, Oh, like Tina's just some lady that's in a kitchen. You know what I mean? Like she can, she can be, we can be so reductive about her um, at first blush, but she is not, she's like so much more. And I feel like the, the show is always telling us not to, to reduce people that way. And before we get into the next episode, let's take a quick break for our sponsors and then we'll be back with more. This HeadGum Podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit, even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh, well. Because it was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura Frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there. And you know what? You can update it with an app. So every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm -hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code headgum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We get into episode five. It's called Say Matt, I guess. Um, or Say Mate. I don't know. What? Say Matt? Is it M-A-T-E? M-A-T-T-E. Oh, my, that's Matt. Matt, I think, right? Least, yeah, same Matt. I mean, that's what it's my paint I don't rem- on my on my kitchen wall. Matt. Oh yeah, Matt. Okay, yeah. yeah. I was like, am I not understanding this? Well, the toilet explodes. It might fuck up the lunch <laughs> service. Pastry um, chef Marcus is getting real lost in the world of fermentation. That good, that good guy, <laughs> our good guy. He's just so into fermentation. Cousin Richie and the big guy. I can't remember his name. Um, he's the one that like doesn't do any cooking. He like fixes stuff. Fack. Yeah, what's his name? Fack. Fack. F A F A K. Fack. Oh, Fack. Yeah. Oh, yes. The guy with the the, yeah. the guy with the mustache yeah. and the long hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fack. Okay, he's actually I think an actual YouTube cooking person. That's how I they believe cast that him. I heard that. Yeah. yeah. Um. Fack. So they so him and cousin Rich have a huge fight, and Carmi, and he tell ends up telling Carmi that cousin Richie sells co- cocaine outside the store. Um, and they totally lose electricity and gas. And instead of lose, instead of closing for lunch, they set up a fire pit outside and take orders in cash. And it's oddly triumphant. Um, but ultimately, they had to succumb to Richie's drug dealing as a way to get the lights turned back on. So the bridge were like, "Look, okay, <laughs> Richie, go deal some drugs, get these lights fucking turned back on." <laughs> but like, this is the last time you're gonna deal drugs again. The relationship with morality of this show hilarious so complicated well, we were all waiting on when cocaine was going to make its appearance in the kitchen <laughs> yeah. we all know that it's a staple and it took them five episodes but we got there yeah it, it, it took a remarkable um you know uh they, they really kept it you know they really kept it close for a while um i imagine people at home right now being like wait is there a lot of cocaine in kitchen work Well, less ever since Adderall was invented, but yes. It's just so fucking exhausting. I mean, the thing that I, so I I remember this one time when I was, um, I was a dishwasher and I was in college and I went to college at, at, um, at Cornell in upstate New York and it was very, very cold out and it was middle of winter, whatever. And I, um, and I was, I was just on my feet washing dishes for like eight hours, right? And um, and by the end of eight hours, I was just like so tired. My body temperature was insane. I walked out. It must have been 30 degrees. And I walked out wearing a T-shirt. I was like, who who could possibly put a coat on right now? That's insane. <laughs> but like, that's what it does, right? It's just, and, you know, clearly I needed to do some cocaine in that moment. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, we also learned that Sydney lives at home with her father in this episode. Um in, we sort of get like a sense about Sydney's failures, mm. you know. Um, what do you think about what Sydney's like trying to do or what she's tried to do in the past? I feel this is where we see that she did this catering company and she put all yeah. her money into it. And I feel like what I love about this show, and I, we brought it up before, is that we just keep 
getting more pieces to make our all of our characters fuller and fuller and fuller. And so now we see that she's not just this younger person who went to this fancy school and is like, um, I want to do this stuff. She's had this whole history of trying to do stuff and it not going well. And she's getting back in the ring and she's like, I'm going to keep going, even though she's been knocked on her ass. Yeah. She's sleeping in a twin bed. Yes. In her like childhood room. In her childhood room. There's like rainbows on her comforter. I mean, it's so brutal. <laughs> um, Corey, is it, is this like, it, part of me is like, she had to have such a reservoir of energy to get up and yeah. dance again after that failure. Yeah. I, it it just shows that this is what this is not something that she's like, oh, this is a career to make money. This is a thing that she can't live without. This is her passion. And again, I go back to comedy where it's mm -hmm. like, I know I know comedians have been doing it for 20 years and had something early on and it didn't work out and they're still out there grinding. And any other person in any other career would go, I guess I can't sell cars. You know, <laughs> but but I like don't get me wrong. Comedian is not near as important as these two things, but it's like you people that are doctors and teachers. It's because they were called to that thing and that's yeah. what they're going to do. And like teachers take low pay and they get their, you know, ass chewed out by parents. But they're like, it doesn't matter because I am a teacher. That's not my profession. I am a teacher. And that is Sydney with food. You know, yeah. and she's super passionate. And I do think that like, you know, the conversation with her and Marcus in the past, like it's it's a it's the difference between smart and wise. Like she had this really good education and she thinks that she knows all the things to do and that she can be better than people from sometimes. But then Marcus is like, well, that's cool, but that ain't how you do it. Because he even though he didn't go to the fancy school or whatever, he's been there. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So she's just. I love her energy. She's super ambitious. And like sometimes that can be, you know, that can get in your way. I feel like. I love that the difference between smart and wise and this entire series sits on the bed mm -hmm. of conflict that is the difference between smart and wise. And then in episode six, we go, it's called an, a delicate ecosystem. And um, be, we, we get into a little bit of a sad moment because we actually meet Michael, right? The guy who, the brother who had killed himself, he's charmingly telling the story of when he met, Bill, when they met Bill Murray at a game or something. And he's just, and he's cooking at the same time, just sort of do that, which is the kind of cooking that I dream about where you're like in a kitchen and you're talking at the same time. It seems like your hands are operating independently of like your brain. Um, he's just like effortlessly putting together a whatever the fuck beef situation and telling the story. And it's so charming. And we cut to Richie telling that same story on a date where the woman doesn't get it. Mm. Right. And, the, um, and that was, that was painful. And it added a little dimension to, to the whole, th to, to, to the Richie, to the missing. I don't know, Leah, what did that, what did that do to you? Uh, oh, I feel like we get the charisma of the brother. Yeah. Um, and then, and as you're saying, there's a storytelling and then that edit. And then I feel like my takeaway was the missing you know, the missing of this person that he yeah. shared all these stories with and these good times. And this person who was sort of like his sunshine in many ways, you know what I mean? And he's trying to recreate this story in this moment with this woman who like does not give a shit. And I think we, I felt Richie's loss in yeah. that moment. Um, and then Corey, there's, there's a moment 
there's the thing that that a a delicate fucking ecosystem refers to is the kind of there's the restaurant there's the there's the uh, patrons there's the gangsters that stand outside um and it is a delicate ecosystem with all of these like factions right (laughs) uh we had a moment where we saw richie deal with the gangsters outside and then we had where he was just like look guys just don't be crazy don't yell you can stand here but like don't make it scary for the customers they start yelling. They they make it scary for the customers anyway. And then um, and then Sydney goes outside and has like a carrot approach where she's like, "What's your name? This is my name. Let's talk it out." Okay, you get free sandwiches every Tuesday. You know, she basically does this like United Nations level diplomatic proceeding with these <laughs> warring factions outside. Um, Corey, what did that? You know, how did she sort of? stand into that power position and where did that leave where did that leave Richie I first off don't know how she did it or him matter of fact like I guess if you work in downtown Chicago sometimes you're gonna have to talk to a gangster I don't know like I'm not familiar with that that world but the first thing I thought of when Richie's out there and he's sort of talking to these guys I'm like man they're their sandwiches must really be awesome for these guys not to just beat the shit out of Richie. Like, like him and her hold, they hold some sort of power just be through the magic of food. Yes. You know what I mean? And and, it, and also, that was just such a different generational take. Like, Richie's more hard, old school, and Sydney is more like, everything can be solved with a conversation yeah okay? yeah you know and uh and no I, I thought it was I thought it was great and I love the the like you said the balance of the the ecosystem but but again like it's just it's so wild to me how much power these people wield because their hot beef sandwiches are so good <laughs> you know well let's let's get into episode seven the episode is called are we good and this to me is the the pinnacle the ultimate the episode of all episodes. It starts with a Sufjan Stevens needle drop of the song Chicago, which if you don't know this song, it feels like Sufjan, Sufjan Stevens wrote this song, whatever, 15 years ago for this show. Like he had a <laughs> premonition that it would be utilized correctly um, because it was the, it's it's underscoring this Chicago montage of everyone going to work, but also, you know, Michael Jordan and shots of Obama um, and the streets and the feel of Chicago. Um and then the episode really starts when they turn on the to-go orders. For the first time, oh. they're going to try and do to-go orders. And it's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> and here's what's incredible about the episode. They film everything in one take. It is essentially a play. The filming and the choreography are so incredible. The idea that they managed to do this on hairpin turns um, of of choreography like is you know there's it's like in order to make hydrogen or whatever like they have to have like two thousand pound like machines and all it's great and it just like makes one little tiny thing like that's what this episode did for me um and first of all did you know you were just watching one take when so one take episodes or whatever when there's always a moment when I realize it's happening. It won't be at first, yeah. but th- there'll be a moment where I go, 
I think this is a one take. And then in that moment, it's like I found the Easter bunny or a five-leaf yeah. clover or something. Yeah. Like if nobody's if nobody's in the room with me, I pause it and run around screaming. I'm like, it's a one take. It's a one take. Everybody get in here. And I gotta and I gotta restart the episode. And sometimes sometimes if I'm halfway through and realize it's one take, I'll just restart it anyways, just to enjoy the fact that, that it's, it's a one, one take. take. Because yeah. I nothing blows my mind more than one takes. And I say that because as someone who does something as childish as comedy sketches, <laughs> two and a half, two and a half minute comedy sketches for Comedy Central, it took us a whole day to get one thing, you know, part yeah. of it because we couldn't stop laughing. But like, even though I wrote the sketch, I'd forget the lines. We'd miss a mark. We'd do whatever. Yeah. And it's just like, I know we're talking about the show and not necessarily the production. However, like whenever that's pulled off, I just want to fly to where everybody is and shake their hand and go, yeah. how the fuck yeah, take did a you bow. do that? Like, take a bow, every, guys. Yeah. Take a bow. Every single one of you is the most talented and patient and your improv skills are... Because you know they fucked up and they just kept sure, going. Like sure. you, you know for a fact that something in there wasn't supposed to be, but every actor was smart enough to be like, we ain't fucking this up. We've been doing it for 20 minutes. You know what I mean? So... Man, and it was just great. That type of pace is perfect for that show, you know? It and was, it's interesting because it awesome. there was a moment that I noticed where, like, the camera stuck, like, Carmi goes into, like, the freezer or something to get something, and they kind of stick on the door. And it was, you could tell that it was maybe, maybe something was happening slower than it should or whatever because we're just, like, uh, watching this door for, like, a moment, a beat too long but yeah. then what they do in post is like they added sound design then they added this like stress to this watching the door you know that it's like fuck Carmi's gonna go in there and come out and then what's gonna happen when he comes out fuck fuck and like they add the, a little right. a squeak on the door I mean all that stuff I'm a mad I, I'm nearly certain just as a filmmaker that that stuff no, you're true. happened you're right. in in post and it happened and it's and it's so brilliant because it's like Okay, let's make let's make lemonade out of lemons. Like maybe we weren't supposed to be here for that for that long, but we are. So how are we gonna fucking make everyone nervous about it? You know what I mean? And it and right. it was just brilliantly done. And Leah Marcus quits. Sydney quits. It's fucking off the rails. What did off you What did you think anxiety. at this moment? Yeah, that's what I thought when we're rating. This was the one that you're like, yeah. this is my. Yeah. Um, and I did not realize it was one take until I was told after the fact. And I, I, I believe it's because I was so anxious, um, <laughs> that I, cause this is the one for me that, Hey, I came into this episode mad at Richie for calling the cops after Sydney had done such a great job and he couldn't handle it. And then, so then the, the machine messing up with Sydney or, you know what I mean? You're just, and when the things start coming out, you're like, I can't, I can't take it. You know, I really cannot handle any more things going wrong. Yeah. Um, and then when Carmi finally breaks and then, and then says all those things, like you understand why he's upset. Like Marcus has gone really deep into a donut. A hole. donut. Yeah. Um, but it was sort of like, <laughs> it's, it, but it was like so explosive and you're like, nah! it's just so much, you know, it's the, the pot boiling over. And I really, yeah, I was really in that 
um, for the, that whole episode. And also, of course, the donut was delicious. Yeah. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. He yes, fucking yes, picked yes. the donut off the ground and then was like, motherfucker, lock the <laughs> secrets of donuts. I'm so impressed and angry right now. I don't know what to do with myself. Um, I think we knew that donut was going to be perfect, though. Like, obviously. We went down of course. Together, we were like, this is going to be the best effing donut ever. And I identify with Marcus so much in that, that there have been so many times in my life where there were so many things going on around me that were way more important and people trying were trying to get me to deal with. But I, whatever was my personal donut at the time, I was just hyper fixated on it and couldn't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like. It was, I love that episode, but yeah, 10 out of 10 anxiety. Um, well, let's get into the final episode. We have to wrap things up uh, because in the final episode, we see a lot of like kind of arcs make their, you know, their way to the end. Like, t- you, you know, we see Tina wearing the apron that's now the official kind of apron. Um, uh, she looks like Sydney. Um, and she likes it. She likes, you can tell she likes being in the kitchen, doing something good and then getting like an, a compliment about how good and efficient and well it was done and made. Um, Sydney and Marcus, you know, we see them in, in, in Sydney's house or whatever. She's like making this incredible meal for Marcus. Uh, Marcus is like, yeah, I'm going to go back, you know, (laughs) I'm going to go back obviously. And she's like, wow. Okay. Um, and then we find Carmi find a bunch of money in the cans of tomato sauce. His brother had arranged that the whole time to get the, get the restaurant out of debt and for Carmi to let it rip. What does he want to fucking do with this place? Sydney comes in and they have this basically conversation with their minds about what the restaurant's going to be. Um, tell me, how did you feel Leah? I was afraid that I was going to be left not feeling happy. Do you know what I mean? I'm from the uh-huh, anxiety uh-huh. of the last yeah. episode. Because I also forgot that's right where Tina brought her son in and you could tell that she was finally being, she felt a part of it, da, da, da. And then that fell apart in that episode too because Sydney got upset. And so I felt so delicate coming into this episode that I was like, and I knew it was the last one. And you're like, am I going to be left broken? You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> and then you're like, please let him get this note and, um, and let the note be good. And then with the, with the spaghetti sauce, how he kept being like, why don't we get big cans? They're cheaper. And then we finally find out why he was using the little, cause the little cans taste better and the money's in it. And when he finally is like, I'll make this spaghetti, you know what I mean? And we get the money and then Sydney comes back. And then there's this moment where they're going to get to, he feels permission because this whole time, which I don't think we mentioned is that his brother didn't let him work in the restaurant when he was, younger, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. he went and did all these things. And this was his brother handing it on to him and being like, I trust you to do it let it rip, do your thing. And then Sydney comes back and you're like, oh, I, I feel so much better. Yeah. Release, <laughs> elation. Um, Corey, I mean, uh, were you satisfied with the ending and how does it set you up for season two? I was very satisfied with the ending. I too was worried that that, that somebody wasn't coming back yeah. uh, because like, obviously you're rooting for Carmi. He's the protagonist. He's a, you know, I guess sort of an anti-hero. You love him. You're rooting for him. But like, he was a dickhead. He was being an asshole. And you totally understand why if this wasn't a show and your friend came home and told you my boss did this, they'd be like, don't you fucking ever go back. What are you talking about? 
yeah, you deserve yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, totally. But because, but, be, but because it's a TV show and we know all the nuance of everything, we're like, no, come back. But mm. I was afraid that they wouldn't, and then it was going to be a situation where it's like he gets all this money, and he's like, in his brain, it's like everything is solved, and then they're like, that has nothing to do with me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you still were, that doesn't erase the fact that you were an asshole to me. Uh, so I was very satisfied. I was, number one, I love that the money was in the tomatoes purely because it's a great moment in the show. However, um, <laughs> could there not have been at least, I don't know, 100,000 different better options to leave the money? Maybe it was the best one. And also, and I can't remember if they explained this in the show, how the fuck did he get them in the cans? No, like, they didn't it, it, explain the, this, right? Like, they did not explain this. No, no, I no, no. Because I was looking for that explanation it, myself, and I was like, no, I don't think they're explaining this. Because if he opened the cans to put them in there, then then the sauce is compromised because it would have needed to be refrigerated, which it wasn't. So, like, he had to go to the, the manufacturer. People. He had yeah. to go to the manufacturer and trust that these people working a goddamn assembly line yeah. would go, sure, I'll take your tens of thousands of dollars and put it in these specific yeah. cans. Don't yeah. worry. And by the way, I'm going to kill myself. So there's really no way of anybody to know, you know. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> no, that is the craziest part. Like, why would it be in cans? It. How do they do I it? it? I mean, it was insane. Absolutely. But I'm I'm super pumped for the next season for it to be. Obviously, it's going to be a completely different vibe. The restaurant is changing and it's going to be, you know, the same people, but now working in something they're unfamiliar with. They're not just making the beef sandwiches. They're not just making the spaghetti. So uh, you know, I'm I'm pumped. I was very satisfied. It's 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 such a great show, and I was so happy that you had me on here to talk about it because it's. Oh, just, I'm so happy. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put bets on on Sydney and Marcus. Um, and this is like such a normie person's bet here, but Sydney and Marcus go to Bone Town. I too have shipped them. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So Leah, <laughs> do you have any like fantasies about season two? Um, I'm pretty open emotionally because <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I like to walk in, just, you know, hit me with it. I assume yeah. we're going to continue this uh, new way of doing things versus old way of doing things. I hope we have a lot of uh, Oliver Platt. Yes. Uh, uh, Maybe nude? No, I. Um, I do think he put it in the cans because he didn't want him to get the money until he agreed to make his spaghetti. That's why yep, I think he put it in there. And I, I did. I so did intense. Google, <laughs> I mean, I get that as an Italian. Uh, until you do what I want, you will not get the answer. There are can resealers because I was like, "What is this? How are the cans sealed? I don't get it." You can buy a can resealer. Okay. I went into okay. that Google hole. Okay, thank uh, you. <laughs> thank you for thank, thank you for, for doing that. That's a that's a very Italian Google search too. <laughs> Folks, that is the end of today's recap. I have enjoyed thoroughly discussing this with you, getting at all the angles. I could I feel like I could have talked about this show with you guys for like three more hours. Um but nevertheless, the show must end and yet season two will go on again it comes out on june 22nd we will be doing recaps two by two um for the next four weeks um and i would love for the people of fake the nation to be able to follow you and all the wonderful things that you do leah bonima where do they do that um i can listen to a podcast i co-host called were you raised by wolves 
And, you know, if anybody uh, uh, wants to join me in my venture back into social media, uh, TikTok, you, not back, that's the first time I'm there, uh, YouTube, Instagram, they're all at Leah Bonema, L-E-A-H-B-O-N-N-E-M-A. And honestly, thank you so much for having me. This is a great show. I'm delighted to get to chat about it. Um, folks, don't forget, you know, let's let us all support Leah in her in her social media renaissance. <laughs> um, she's gonna be fucking doing Michelangelo on the walls. It's gonna be fucking incredible. So, like, let's get into it with Leah Bonema on all of the socials. Corey Ryan Forster, where do people find you? Well, I would love it if you listen to my podcast podcast co-hosted by my good friend and writing partner Trey Crowder it's called putting on airs it's where two hillbilly dum-dums talk about fancy things and I do little like uh, European history lessons and whatnot um I'm on all the socials at Corey R. Forrester but I hate them so I would love it so I would love it if everybody that followed me on social would instead sign up for my newsletter which is my substack at parttimefunnyman.com I do bonus podcasts Podcast. I do. I've been entering the audio drama world. I write essays. I write stupid poetry. It's a lot of fun. It's five dollars a month, unless you can't afford that. In which case, you can just subscribe for free, and I send you all the shit anyways. So, parttimefunnyman.com. Parttimefunnyman.com. Absolutely follow it. It is. It is also a, there's a renaissance happening in the Substack verse. So you should be a part of it. And you know where to find me and all the things that I do. Um, also, I'm going to be at Tanglewood on Thursday, um, doing wait wait don't tell me. So so if you happen to be in Tanglewood, maybe there's ticket le- tickets left. I have no idea, um, but I would love to see you there. And otherwise, this, uh, if you have any thoughts about the show, um, ideas, whatnot, theories, predictions, are you shipping um, Are you shipping Sydney and Marcus? I want to hear all about it. You can reach out to us at fakethenationpodcast at gmail.com. I want to thank everyone who makes the show possibility. That's our wonderful, wonderful, wonderful producer, Andrew McGuire, everyone at HeadGum. Thanks so much to Gabby Alter for our theme music. And we will be back in your earballs on Thursday. That was a headgum podcast. <laughs>